The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Let's pray. Father, you have graciously come into our world. You sent your son into our world. He appeared as a baby. We know the story. We've celebrated it. We've also acknowledged this morning that we are one day past the holiday of Christmas, and we ask you that you would hold that reality present on our minds. You have come into the world. God has come. God the Father has sent God the Son. It's stuff that we recite, and and God, I pray, keep us from growing cold with it. It is awesome, an amazing reality. You have come. And we are just human beings. And I, I stand here as a person, as a man talking to you. That is amazing. We actually can pray. We can talk to you. Because you have come and and opened up a way, made it possible. So Father, I pray this morning that you would, a piece of what you have done in coming, open up a way for us to talk to you and given us access to you. I pray that you would cause that peace Particularly, we use the word prayer, particularly prayer to rise up and seem more important to us than it seems. To become more important to us. To be something that we embrace and and is more deeply ingrained in the details of our lives. So I guess, Lord, what I'm praying is that you would make us a praying people a little bit more because of your word this morning. So would you, Father, who has sent the Son, would you also send your Spirit in power now to to be here in our midst and to occupy our minds and hearts and cause this Word to live for us and to move us and to grab us and motivate us and change us. We are a people dependent on you. I will talk, but if you don't, Lord, move and give life to it, it's just words. So I pray, take these words and take our time here this morning and do a good work with it that brings honor to your name and changes us, your people. Thank you for coming. And Lord, I pray you would come again now in power and work. I pray this dependent on the Lord Jesus himself. In his name we pray. Amen. I got some lunch at a Chinese restaurant this week. And when the fortune cookie came, I could hardly wait for my eagerly anticipated dose of wisdom. So I finished, 
and I cracked the cookie open and pulled out the little piece of paper and I read, pray for what you want, but work for what you need. Pray for what you want. The things that you'd kind of like to have, maybe you wish for, pray for them. But if it's really important and you need it, get to work. And I wondered, what if a Christian wrote that? The ringing good. I wondered, I wonder if a Christian wrote that because while we don't officially espouse that, I think and I say this carefully because I don't mean to critically indict everyone in one mass group here, but I think that sometimes that's how we proceed in life. We pray for things that seem desirable and kind of out there, maybe religious or spiritual. But if we actually look at our life and say, I need this. If I don't have this, I will fail. If, if this does not come... We look at those things and we decide that's what's important and then we leave off praying, turn to the resources that we have and trust and get to work. Believing prayers for the distant esoteric stuff, these things I must bring. These things I must get. You know, Again, I don't want to blanket indict you, but I think we function like that. I think I function like that. I'm, I'm looking at this passage. I'm working it through this week. And I'm convicted by how much time I spend talking to, counseling, persuading. How much time I do that, especially how much time I do that in comparison to how much time I spend praying for those same people to whom I am talking, counseling, persuading. Now, I have to do that. We all have to do that. We, we, there are things that we have to do. But at least as I look at my own life, and I think this is some, some place where we all live, there is an imbalance here. I work, 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 and pray a little bit. Do you? Work, 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 pray a little bit? This is important not because we are supposed to pray, although that's true. We are supposed to be a praying people. We'll see that in this passage today. We are supposed to be a praying people. But it's important because if you, if you think about what is it that we need what is it that we really need in life? What is it that we as a church really need? If you think about that very long, it should become apparent to us, at least us who are Christians, it should become apparent to us that all things come from God. We are a dependent people for everything. He's the one who gives. We don't make. We, we are dependent. We are receivers. So we have a lifeline that's been open to us, open for us to this God from whom all things come. And to turn away from that and say, no, thank you, I'll take it from here. It's, it's not just offensive, it's futile. Because I can't take it from here. 
We're going to see in the, the Lord's Prayer today, as, we, as we're going to be focusing on the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, and we're going to see in there, Jesus is going to tell us what to pray because those are the things we need, and we can't make those things happen. He can. And we as a church, I, I think about our church, and I hope, dream of, envision, pray for our church to be a place that just is soaked with God. Soaked with a sweetness and, and a, a love and a beauty that kind of like a sponge that's all full. When you poke it, it runs out the sides. For us to be a church that, that has that kind of, of a fullness to it so that you poke it and God, which is to say love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, something runs out the side. I long for us to be a, not just individuals, but a people like that. We can't make that happen. We are dependent on Him. That's what we need and that's what we have to pray for, unlike the fortune cookies advice. So, these are some of my thoughts as I come to this, this one week here. This is the last week of the year. So I have one week and I think, God, what, what, what do we want to preach on here? What, what should I turn to? And I think I need to preach about prayer. Not because I, I believe that I preach one sermon about prayer and the problem's all fixed. I'm not even going to say everything this passage says about prayer. can't address the whole thing. But I'm preaching on prayer this morning in the hopes that God would use His Word to, to grab some of us and lead us into prayer just another step or two and that coming in just another step or two and praying just a little more, you will taste and find that He is good and be drawn to pray just a little bit more. And find it be even better than you thought. And then a little more. So this is like a seed planted. And may God use it. May God use this passage in Matthew 6 to, to draw you to pray just a little more than you were drawn to yesterday. So that's where we're going this morning. We're going to give our attention to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 5 to 15. Matthew 6, 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, 
neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Matthew 6. I want to spend the bulk of our time this morning in verses 9 to 15, the Lord's Prayer proper. But it sits in a larger context and is shaped by that context. We need to kind of understand the lay of the land before we focus in on, on the prayer itself. The larger context is the Sermon on the Mount. If you look at your Bible, it's probably all red ink because this is in the midst of, of a large, lengthy teaching called often the Sermon on the Mount. Can we remove the... Jesus is speaking throughout these chapters on a, on a, a number of different themes that are all related to the kingdom of God, what the kingdom values are like, what people who are in the kingdom are like, what the king is like, what he expects of his people. And, and the kingdom of God is not, at this point yet, a physical place. It, it doesn't have a physical border. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. It's a place where a king reigns. God, the king. It's a spiritual place. It's in the hearts of people for the moment. It will one day be physically displayed again over all of the earth. But he's explaining this and talking about the reign of God and what it is that the subjects of this kingdom will be like. So when we come to chapter 6, we should be thinking, what is here is expectation for the people of God. What we should be like in this kingdom. And stepping in from the larger context of the sermon, we come into this chapter, chapter 6, and we see the introductory verse, verse 1, 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So he's issuing a warning here. Beware about practicing righteousness in a way that does some negative things. So this chapter, this section here is about practicing righteousness. And a warning about how to do that improperly. Righteousness gets lived, practiced, if it's real. And there are three particular righteous practices that he's about to lay out here. He's going to lay out initially verses 2 to 4, giving to the needy. Then 5 to 15, our section, prayer. And 16 to 18, fasting. And each one of these sections, he circles back to that first verse about practicing and warning us against being hypocrites in our practice. That's what's in each of the sections, and now we're ready for verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Assuming that we do these things, assuming that when you pray, verse 5, when you pray, verse 6, when you pray, verse 7, and verse 9, in an imperative, pray then, what's the expectation? That we would be prayers. So before we get too far into this, it'd be helpful to not skip right over this and miss the point. Jesus expects that we are a praying people. When, not if, when you pray. This is what it is to practice righteousness, a piece of practicing righteousness for us. If you have been made right before God, it it will come out of you as prayer. As an expression of a dependence on this God. Prayer. So do you pray? I mean, I'm going to move on to talk about what prayer is, but I, I need to ask, first off, do you pray? 
What's your private prayer like? Because that's the first place that Jesus goes, as he warns about prayer. He has two things here, before he gets to the prayer itself. He has two things that he warns us about. And the first one is hypocrisy in prayer. People who pray in public, loving what it gets them from other people. You see that in, in the first paragraph there, five, five and six. People who say, dear God, we're really talking to these folks. People who love to pray in public because it gains them a... Man, what a holy guy he is. What a godly woman. Listen to her pray. To counter that, go pray by yourself in private. Not because Jesus is against public prayer, but he's saying what, what we have to watch out for is prayer that's not actually prayer. Prayer that's lecturing. Prayer that's teaching. Prayer that's self-exalting. It's hypocrisy, he says. Go into your private place and pray where God is and where God will meet you. So when I say, how's your prayer life? What I mean is, do you pray when no one else on earth knows you're praying? Because that's when it will show, I actually believe that God is here and that God hears and that He's the one I need. Five and six. And then in seven and eight, Jesus warns against lengthy, repetitive, manipulative prayer. It was a practice in that day. He mentions the Gentiles there. A practice in that day. It was believed that a repetition of the name of a God or the repetition of the request to the God, the repetition itself works. It persuades. It creates maybe even an obligation. And Jesus says, no, this literally it's stammering and babbling. This, this kind of mindless repetition is pointless. God already knows what you need before you even ask. Don't trust the repetition. Don't try to, try to work him or manipulate him. Now, Jesus is not against persistent prayer. Because prayer over time shows who it actually is you're leaning on. And, and certainly we, we shouldn't take this kind of warning to say that, well, just throw it all out there real quick, like, just, this is good. No, thoughtful prayer is actually a mind engaged with God. The point is, you don't need to repeat yourself again and again and again to, to get him to act. Those are the two warnings. Which brings us now to the, the positive instruction of the Lord's Prayer. He's cleared away a couple of negatives. Don't, don't pray like this and don't pray like this. And now he comes to verse 9. Pray then like this. This is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. And technically, this is not a prayer. Now, your heading probably says Lord's Prayer. What are we talking about, Steve? It is a prayer. Well, Jesus did not pray this. He's teaching this. And you notice it doesn't actually end like a prayer. The, the ending that we all know as we've recited this, that was added in later because somebody said, it doesn't end like a prayer. We need to add this. So probably your footnote shows that it was added centuries later. Originally, Jesus just puts this out. and does not say pray this. says pray like this. It's a model. 
And, it, and being a model, it's Jesus saying, here are, and there are actually six things, here are six things that you need to have on your mind as you're going to God. Pray like this. So let me begin with my first observation. This is going to be the first half of the Lord's model prayer. Because it's a prayer, I'm going to express it as a request. Father, please reclaim your rightful place in all of your creation. First half, first three points of this prayer. Father, please reclaim your rightful place in all of your creation. The opening line that Jesus teaches us to pray is interesting, but perhaps because we're so familiar with this, we don't, we don't catch it. But he says, our Father in heaven. He's telling us, pray like this, our Father in heaven. And he uses there a term that is, that is dear. Now, to us, Father is a little formal. Probably most of us don't speak to our dads and say, Father, may I go outside? It sounds stiff, but that's just because it's English. In the original language, this is a little bit more like dad or daddy even. It's, it's dear, intimate, near. He is in heaven, and he's near. Our dad in heaven. And here's what we are to ask him. Three requests that are all tied together, nine and ten. Let's look at them in order. Hallowed be your name. That is, regarded as holy be your name. His name is holy, but he's saying, pray that it would be regarded that way. That it would be seen to be holy. Please make your name to be revered, worshipped, respected, admired, and carefully, appropriately responded to. To speak of God's name is to speak of His person. We, we are very closely tied to our names, even more so in a society when people were given names or took names based on characteristics. That's God's, that's God's uh, context here. And he repeatedly in the Bible uses or takes names that say something about him, that, that explain a bit of his nature. Talks about, he uses a name to talk about his power, or a name to talk about his providing, or his name to talk about his love, the name to talk about his existence, I am. It's, his name is who he is, and we are to pray, God, would you make it so that you yourself are respected and revered and regarded as holy, distinct from us, lifted up above us, treated of, treated as and thought of as righteous and pure, different, distinct. So commonly in this creation, people ignore Him altogether. People slander His name. People out there and people right here. We're not just praying about them. 
God, make your name holy out there. Make it holy in here. Make it holy in this room, in this body. In every situation in life, oh, our Father, Dad, would you make yourself in every situation in life, good and bad, sweet and painful, in every situation in life, would you make it so that I, so that we, so that they, so that everyone reveres you and sees first you and then all the circumstances? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Will you cause your kingdom, the sphere in which you reign as king, to come? Which acknowledges it is not here as it should be yet. Remarkably, This God who made everything has been rejected by us, His creatures. And so we ask Him, would you send, would you bring, would you cause your kingdom to come, both incrementally, a little more in me, incrementally, a little more by adding another person, And also decisively, once and for all, would you send the king again to set up his throne? Cause your kingdom to come. May he come and reign, first in here and then everywhere, that your glory, O Father, would cover all of the earth, every single corner of it, as the water covers the sea, as it should be, as it once was and will be. Bring it, please. Break into people's hearts and claim them for your own. Break into that room in my heart and claim it also for your residence. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have your way, Lord. May your will be done. Have your way. Just as you do in heaven... Have that now. So that what you speak and what you desire is everywhere. End sin. Bring an end to all the rebellion. This does not mean... These phrases are so familiar to us and they're not really that hard to explain, but we often do a little slip with them. Very often we pray things like, your will be done. But what we, where we pray that and what we mean by it is just slightly different. Often we pray, your will be done in situations over which we have no control. We pray as we're interacting over a medical diagnosis. Well, the doctors say that they can't really guarantee this will stop. So, God's will, your will be done, Lord. 
That, that is a, a healthy dependence on God. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is your will, comma, not mine. Your will, overpower my will, overpower our will, overpower our bent and our direction and change it to make yours the way it is. Not in a situation which we have no power, but in a situation where we're going against, stop that and turn it back. Your will be done. The greatest evil in all of the creation and the greatest problem in all of the creation is the violence done to this name and this kingdom and this will. And we first start out, Jesus says, begin praying right here. Ask God to reclaim His rightful place in every corner of His creation. That's where He starts. And I think, I think, tragically, if you could record or work through all of our prayers, you would find that we are consistently far from this. Not always, but consistently. I I don't find, as I sit and listen, I don't find this kind of heartbeat dominating what we pray about. Come to this in a minute. What dominates what we pray about is the fourth petition. We'll get there. But I just ask you, when you pray, when you go to your closet and pray by yourself, is the first, second, and third heartbeat this. Oh, God. The greatest thing we need, the greatest thing that must happen in all of this creation is that you would reclaim your spot on the throne. Take your seat. Cause your name to be exalted and loved and worshipped and your kingdom to live everywhere and your will to be done. Is that what you pray for? In every situation. I don't... I don't think we do. We should. We should, quite obviously, because Jesus says so. But think about this for a minute with me. We should for another reason. A reason that I hope will serve as a, as a, a motivation to you to, to draw you into this. Think about this. Think about it in the language of another prayer, Psalm 67. You can find this anywhere, but that was the first one that came to my mind. Psalm 67, verse 4 says, a prayer, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Remember I said last week when I find the word joy, a little, a little flag goes up for me. And I hope it does for you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For, ooh, keep reading. For you, Lord, judge the peoples. 
You rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. That is your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, that they may be glad and sing for joy. So when Jesus says, ask your Father in heaven that His name would be lifted up and His kingdom would come and His will would be done, what He is saying is, ask your Father in heaven to delight the nations and make them full of joy. Ask your Father in heaven to delight you yourself and fill you with joy. Do you see that? It's, it's right that we pray because He commands it. And it's also the thing that would be your joy. Come on. If He would answer this, if He would move And bring this to pass. And one day he will fully praise God. But if he would move and bring this to pass, what would result in you? Gladness and joy. So start and pray, pray, pray for God, our Father, to reclaim his rightful place everywhere Right here first. And everywhere else. You can't have lasting, glad-hearted joy without it. So ask Him to do it. Everywhere, no matter what the cost. For His glory and for your good. It is supremely supremely delightful to live in the kingdom of a supremely good, loving, delightful king. So ask Him to bring it and ask Him to bring it in your heart. Now we come to the second set of requests. So we begin with Father, reclaim your place and then we move to Second point, Father, please graciously meet the needs of your people. Father, please graciously meet the needs of your people. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Give us bread for today, sustain us today. Which would have been much more literal for them in that day. Commonly, laborers were paid Every day they worked. And so every day they would get up saying, need bread today. God provide it today. We're a little distance from that, so we, we lose a little bit of the, of the sense of urgency. But if you've ever been in a place where you are flat broke, cupboard empty, flat broke, you feel a little bit of what like of what daily life was like. And you say, Father, give it today, please. This is about bread, but it's also about every other physical thing in life. It's about, Father, will you sustain 
my life today, my physical life. Provide shelter for me, clothing, food. Today, please. It's about basic fundamentals of life. And I think of all the six petitions, this one is the most commonly prayed. Go to any prayer meeting. I mean, look at your look at your prayer list, and I suspect you'll find that it is the most frequently cited, the most frequently connected to request, and it should be there. It, it should. It's here. It is one sixth of what he puts here. I don't know that it's one sixth of our prayer lists, but it should be on there. I think it's probably not one sixth of our prayer lists because it exposes an idolatry in us. We are most concerned about. This earth suit. So I say this carefully because it should be there. We must pray about these things. Financial and health concerns are real and are right there in verse 11. But they are not even the greatest issue in Jesus' mind when he talks about our needs. It's there. But our spiritual needs are paramount. 12 to 15 are all about, Father, please meet our spiritual needs. Just judging by the number of words given to it, that's more important. Forgive us of our sins, verse 12, which is elaborated on on in 14 and 15. Forgive us of our sin and lead us not into temptation, which is a, a clever way of saying, Lead us not into temptation positively. Do lead us into resolve against sin. Resistance to sin. Deliver us from evil. Literally, it I think should be translated from the evil one. Grammatically, it indicates the evil. From Satan. Yes, Father. Give us bread today, but forgive us of our sin and lead us into resolve against sin and lead us into a safe place from the tempter who is on the prowl looking to devour me like a lion. That's our greatest need. Mercy and gracious help in our spiritual war. And make no mistake, we are at war And now a lot of times it doesn't feel like that, I realize, but, but think, think, think about it from the other guy's side. It's always, in any competition, it is always more effective to convince the one, your opponent that you're not actually trying. Isn't it? Don't, don't, don't you, if you're trying to beat somebody, say in basketball, don't you kind of slow up and lull them to sleep and then move? Isn't the whole idea behind a sneak attack in war? I mean, we don't think we're at war because we are at war. We don't think we have an adversary because we have a really good one. He's wise. And, and brothers and sisters, you are, you are at, you are in peril as you sit here. There is one lurking who is on the prowl, Peter tells us. And he's smart. When did he come to tempt Jesus in the desert? 
He's going to say, turn the rock into bread. He waited till he was hungry. That doesn't work on day one. Day 40, it might. You have an adversary who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy you and your family and the people around you and your church and your nation and your world because he hates the king and his kingdom and everything that he does. And Jesus, your Savior, is far more concerned with your soul because that's what lives forever. You you will have a body in heaven, but it will not be a perishing body. Your soul is the heart of you and He is concerned to save it. And so He says, pray that the Father will protect you from this tempter who is out to kill you and that the Father will forgive you when you fail. He's talking to believers, people who are in the kingdom. This is about what it's like to be in the kingdom. So don't misread verses 14 and 15 and and think that there's some sort of of a conditional salvation thing going on here. I don't want to say a lot about that, but I do want to say a little bit because I know it raises some questions. I'll refer you to Matthew 18, the end of the chapter. Read the parable of the unforgiving servant there. It has the same general point that's being made here by Jesus. In Matthew 18, he tells this parable to answer the question. Essentially, Peter asks, how many times should I forgive somebody who sins against me? Seven times? Thinking, that's a lot. And Jesus says, 70 times seven, then tells him this parable. Which is a very similar point to what's being made here. And the the basic point, God's people, God's forgiven people are a forgiving people. God's forgiven people are a forgiving people. And if you're not a forgiving person, you should ask yourself, is that because I'm not forgiven? Am I not a forgiving person because nothing's been changed inside of me and I'm not actually forgiven? That's the point. You should ask that question. It's the point of Matthew 18. It's the point being raised here. It's not saying that you lose your salvation if you don't forgive somebody and then when you forgive them, you get it back. But back to the prayer itself. Clearly the emphasis in this Lord's model prayer is the request that God would help us, especially in regards to our war against sin. It is the most critical issue we face. Where would we be if we had healthy, full bodies and perished in our sin? Where would we be if we, as Christians, had healthy, full bodies, but were plagued by sin throughout our whole lives, and and a constant barrier was being built up between us and God? You realize that happens for Christians. When He saves you, He establishes a relationship with you. But there is a reality to sin causing a, a break in fellowship. Causing a hardening of a Christian's heart. Causing a grieving of the Holy Spirit. That happens. And so Jesus is saying, attend to that. Deal with God over your sin. When you fail, deal with Him over your sin and pray, God, forgive me, remove this. Reckon this to Christ's cross too. 
So give us bread today, please, but even more, forgive us of sin and keep us from sin. And keep us from the tempter who seeks to kill us. Jesus tells us to go to our Father in heaven and ask for those things. So while you pray, Father, reclaim your place in the creation, do you also then, when you pray for yourself, especially when you pray for other people, especially pray for God to interject Himself and to help them in their fight against sin. For God to give, yes, give us, give us bread. Yes, clothe us today. Yes, give us a job. Yes, heal our bodies. But especially, oh please, especially, Give me grace that will teach me to say no to ungodliness and to help me to live an upright and godly life before you as I wait for you to come. As Titus 2 says. Is that in your praying, it should be, and I can say right here, because Jesus says so. But again, I'm looking for a little more motivation than just a simple command. Not that a simple command is insufficient. If, if God Almighty says so, that's the way it should be. So I don't want to shrink back from that. I just want to say, I, I and I think we all, respond a little more to here's a command, and look at this after it. So here's a command, but look at this after it. And let me approach this in, in simple earthly terms. If I say to you, if I say to you, ask me for $100 to pay your electric bill. You don't have to ask me 50 times in a row. I'm not the kind who's impressed by repetition, and I already know you need it. That's why I brought it up. But ask me. What, what am I doing there? Am I seeking to be informed about the situation? No, I, I know of the request before it's even raised. I think Jesus said that, didn't he? And, and I'm not seeking to be persuaded. It was my idea. I'm clearly willing. It, it, I'm not saying, ask me for my sake. I'm saying, ask me for your sake. I want to do, if I, if I tell you that, I want to do at least two things. I'm trying to, to point out a problem for you. You need $100 for your electric bill, don't you? Let's put that right here so that we both know it. It's going to become the center of our conversation. You need this. I'm pointing out a problem, and I am trying to make extremely clear where the solution to that problem lies. I'm not anonymously slipping you 100 I'm not going down to the, did I say electric bill? I'm not going down to the, who, who's our electric company? Anyway, to, to pay, I'm not doing that anonymously. I'm making it explicit. I want to ask you so that you will ask me and you will see me slide the money across the table to you so you'll know it came from me. Right? That's two things that would happen in that conversation. Why do I want to do that? Well, if we're just human beings, it might be a power play. Might be about my pride. 
It might be about me putting you in your place, showing you your problem, and me putting me in my place, showing me my generosity and graciousness. Or me obligating you. If I give the money anonymously, you don't know, but now you know you owe me. If we're two people, that might be involved. But now, step out of the analogy, we're not talking about two people. This is not you and me. This is God Almighty who says to you, here, right here, ask me for this. You don't need to say it 50 times, I already know. You're trying to persuade me, I already know. But I'm asking you to ask me so as to do at least two things, to clarify what it is you need. You need me to reclaim my place in this world. And you need me to meet your every need, every piece of food that touches your lips, every drop of liquid, every item of clothing, and more than that, every ounce of resistance against sin, every little reminder of my goodness and my, my beauty, the joy of which would be your strength against temptation, every little bit of that you need from me, and I will give it. Watch this. Ask me. Ask me. So when we ask and He gives it, we say, Oh my goodness, what a good, gracious, giving God you are. The last step's important. If He just did it anonymously, we would just think, Man, things worked out. And we would not connect it to God. That's the important thing. We would not connect it to God. We would just think, life worked out. Things turned around. I did it. He wants us explicitly to connect it to Him because of what that then tells us about Him. A God who gives graciously, kindly, lavishly, who opens up a door and pours out on you grace that meets the deepest needs of your soul is a good God. And He proves that every time He does that. And He desperately wants you to know that so that in your need you will know where to run. To Him who is a good God and met your need yesterday, I bet He will tomorrow. This as, as I worked this through this week, this was the thing that motivated me. He tells me what to ask for. Already knowing it. I, I was working on eight and nine. How do those things fit together? He just gets done saying, he already knows before you ask, so ask this. Why is that? And it must be because he intends to give it and show himself as the giver. Those are my needs. It is not pray for what you wish, work for what you need. It is pray for what you need. Here's what you need. Watch me give it to you. What does that tell you about me? Come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. Come back next month. I have plenty. That's who your God is. A God of plenty, of abundance. He sits in heaven happy and joyful always. 
grieved by sin, grieved by fallenness? Yes, but happy, always, full of abundance, meaning to give that to you to meet all of your needs. Come and ask Him. Come and ask Him, your Daddy who lives in heaven, says Jesus. And I have to say at the very end, the only reason any of this works is because of what we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 1. Do you remember 1 Corinthians 1? I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And on and on. Christ crucified is the only way God can talk to you like this. And He talks to you like this. All the time. Christ crucified. An amazing splendor for you. Christ crucified. God's gift to you. Christ, knowing He would be crucified, says, Ask your Father in heaven for this. And shortly... I will pay for it. And He will give it. He has purchased for you, Christ crucified, has purchased for you all of the riches of heaven. Understand, riches is not just gold. Riches is good stuff. He has purchased for you everything that you need for life and godliness. Christ crucified has made this prayer possible and actual. The answer to it is not just only theoretically, maybe, if we're lucky. It's real. Christ crucified. So come to your Father in heaven and pray. Which is where I want to end this morning. I want to try something which I don't know how this will work. We don't do this very often here. But I want to try to have us pray out loud in unison. In two stages. So if you have a Bible in front of you, open it back up. And I want to give us a chance and and maybe there is somebody who could play something nice on the piano in the background. And if, if so, feel free to jump up. But what, what I want to do is have us pray out loud together, 9 and 10, and then stop. So I want to give you time to pray along the lines of 9 and 10. So to pray something along the lines of, and it doesn't be those words, but the, God reclaim your rightful place in your world. So pray that for a little while, and then I'll break in, and I'll, I'll interrupt this, and we'll then pray 11, 12, and 13 together. And if your translation is a little bit different, that, that's fine. 
I'm going to say debts when we get to 12. That's what mine says. I'm just talking about sin. It's not, not financial debt. It's sin. And then we'll have some time to pray silently along those lines. And so pray. If you have physical needs, pray for them. Pray for your spiritual needs. That he'll forgive you of sin. Think about what your sin is and confess it. And ask him to lead you away and strengthen you in resisting temptation. And at the end, then, I will close. Okay? So, let's try this. Nine and ten first. So if you can if you can play, pray when we're after we thanks. So ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Father, we thank you for telling us what to pray. Because you mean to answer it and come to our aid. So we thank you for promising to meet our needs, physical needs and particularly our spiritual needs. And I pray that you would cause us to see you as good, to see you as gracious and full of vast, wide, long, high, deep love for us, your children. And that seeing that we would rejoice and that joy would be our strength. A superior joy that drives out all counterfeit and opposing affections. Make that be the case, I pray, Lord. We pray this in the name of Christ who has purchased it for us. And who lives now praying these things himself for us, interceding at your right hand. In his name we pray. Amen. Receive the benediction. May God give you grace to believe Him and to pray believing. May He give you grace and may He meet you, restoring His place in your throne and meeting all of your needs. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.